0: Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. I am super excited to announce that my first children's book, Love Magic, is now on Amazon for purchase. Love Magic is a heartfelt and magical story about the enduring power of love. It's about a little girl named Charlie who has a loved one who passes, and her journey addresses the universal question of how do we stay connected with our loved ones when they pass on gently touches upon the magical ways in which our loved ones can continue to guide us through nature, music, love, and everything in between. I hope you will check it out on Amazon and possibly purchase it. And if you do, please leave me a review. Without further ado, let's go to the next interview. Today, I am honored to have Dr. Rebecca Valla on the show. Dr. Ballett is a psychiatrist who practices from a holistic perspective. She has come to see spiritual growth and psychological healing as interconnected. Her emphasis is on learning to heal your inner child and to love yourself and others in this order. She has been active with the International Association for Near-Death Studies organization, presenting talks on self-love. She'll be co-presenting a workshop at the upcoming virtual IANS conference, which is September 1st through the 5th. And you'll be presenting, what will you be presenting there, uh, Rebecca?
1: Um, I'm doing a workshop um, with uh, David McGinley, Mm -hmm. uh, who's a chaplain. Yes. um, Yes. Also an experiencer himself. And we're going to also do a presentation. So the workshop is more kind of hands-on exercise and so forth. and then presentation is a bit more um, theoretical but it's about doing your work with your ego and it's called your ego is your homework yes
0: Uh, I I, that title is great I love it Mm -hmm. and you can find her YouTube on the INS website and this will all be on the show notes at the at the end and we'll talk that about that a little bit again at the end of the interview so welcome to the program Rebecca Thank you, really good to be here, more so great to so great to have you. So um, let's just jump right in and tell me a little bit about your journey as a child and how it has brought you to your work today as a psychiatrist who's exploring not only the continuity of consciousness, but reincarnation, near-death experiences, inner child work. Um, So just share a little bit about that with us.
1: Well, uh, you know, I believe that we make our, our contracts with people before we come to this lifetime. I didn't know it, of course, in my childhood. It's taken me many years to understand it. Um, but I was born into a large family. I was the sixth of seven children. And um, there were just so many dysfunctional aspects to my family. They were uh, part of a um, Brethren group, a very, what's called the um, Plymouth Brethren, um, which is a kind of a cultish, um, fundamentalist, Christian church uh, that is really um, isolated from others. It doesn't, I mean, if we had lived in community with, with the Brethren, that might have, things might have gone differently, but they don't live in a separate kind of community. They have you know, everyone's living intermingled in the world. Um, but a lot of restrictions, um, really not allowed to socialize with people who are not in that sect, uh, really very confusing and difficult to be a child in that environment. I didn't know, you know, there weren't other kids in my school who were part of the brethren. Um, it was it, So there was a lot of uh, sense of not belonging you know, um, and being um, sort of exempted from sort of normal childhood, just in that aspect. Uh, And there were all kinds of restrictions. We couldn't have a television. We couldn't go to movies. We couldn't have birthday parties. You know, I mean, it just kind of went on and on. But then in addition, there was a lot of dysfunction in my family and my father was a rageaholic and he was not an uh, an, uh, addict. Um, he was hugely damaged from his own childhood and you know none of us had what we needed uh, but you know some of us had you know were sort of singled out to be abused and you know and I was I was just one of them and I'm very confusing it's taken me a long time to understand why me you know and uh, and and to now to understand that there were great advantages in that uh, that I had, of course, no awareness of. Uh, so how I survived uh, were a couple of things. I had a couple of older siblings. I mean, older, like twelve years older, um, who were uh, loving parent figures, and you know, provided a certain amount of safety. Um, They couldn't protect me, but there was uh, a feeling that that they would do what they could. Um, And that was very positive and very helpful. Um, I also, I mean, in terms of the religious background, I went my own way with uh, with my spirituality at an extremely young age. And so for me, it was very uh, important for me to know Jesus. Like I knew Jesus, like he was my personal friend. He was the, the father figure for me. And I, that just the, just the pictures of Jesus with the children around him and the Bible verses about Jesus loves the little children and the songs that meant everything to me. That was a lifeline to me. Um, and I, you know, I felt like in a way I felt like I belonged more to God, as I understood God and Jesus, than I did to my parents. And so that was very helpful uh, to kind of have that um, sort of strong um, knowing. It was a knowing that I had. And and I didn't have anybody to talk to about this. It's not like someone reinforced it for me. but it was really helpful nonetheless. And I had a certain, you know, these are things that we come in with. You know, I had a certain sort of defiant um, part of me that was, you know, I'm, I belong to God and I am going to do uh, in this life what God directs me to do. And I was, that was very helpful and very strong when I was, you know, four years old. Interesting. Did you um, if I
0: could interject for just a second? Yeah. Um, first of all, was Jesus a part of the brethren? Be- brethren? Oh, yes.
1: I mean, it's a it Christian is. Uh, okay. denomination. Right. Um, okay. But there wasn't much emphasis on Jesus. It was much more Old Testament. Right. The emphasis was on being in the world, but the world is corrupt. And uh, the idea was you have to somehow rise above, be in the world, but not of the world. That's one of the scriptures. That was always uh, talked about. So, when
0: did you start exploring this continuity of consciousness and knowing that there's more, and and really digging into the inner child work? Can
1: you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I mean, the inner child work didn't come. I would say it didn't come into. Uh, real focus for me until I was in my fifties, mm. you know, because I was clearly doing work that was related to inner yeah. child healing. You know, I was talking about my life, my childhood, my, um, a lot of insecurity and doubt about, um, basically being able to trust enough that I could be open in the world, you know, cause I just spent so much of my, all of my development in a more defensive, protective, I, I call it living undercover. And I think a lot of children who grow up in unsafe environments know what that means. It's yeah. that you're, you can't be yourself. It's not safe. Right. You can't share very openly what you might be feeling or thinking because it certainly was not safe for me. Uh, and I knew that and I had to, that was like number one, You know, the survival you know, is number one. Um, so when I, when I started going into therapy and, and worked with, with an analyst initially, um, there was a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack and, um, you know, and he was kind of a tough guy, you know, he was, you know, you can't do anything about it. It's over and done, you know, you got to just got to put your life together. And, you know, it's always like, not take it personally you know, which is, yeah, it's good. and It's good advice, but it's, you know, it's, it takes work to, yes. to do that, to not, and to really, you know, kind of move beyond um, a lot of what you carry. It's, there's a lot of burden. There's a lot of trauma burden um, that, that is carried. So it wasn't until I was already a psychiatrist and, and working with patients and continuing at times to have therapy help along the way. I was in my fifties and I had started, um, doing energy healing work. Um, Interesting. You get about- that is when things came together for me.
0: Interesting. So energy work, how, how did you get involved in, in that? Because probably when you first started psychiatry or even when you started energy work, it wasn't, let's say as popular as it as it is today, people don't really didn't probably know, even know what it was. So how'd you
1: get involved in that? Well, I, it was about 15 years ago. So, oh, okay. I was, you know, I was pretty far along in, in right. my own growth and my own reading. I had done a lot of reading. I was, you know, aware of near-death experience and reincarnation and um, all kinds of things. I mean, and I, if I have any kind of psychic gift, I would say it's a knowing. I have, I have knowing about uh, truth and I've been a seeker of truth ever since I came here. Yeah. Um, and it was part of my survival to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so, I uh, no, as so I had a, a person who was ref- uh, recommended to me by a friend of mine who had seen her and had some training with her and, uh, I just had confidence in, um, her being somebody who really knew what she was doing and i went to her and you know she very soon said well you have more inner child uh, healing work to do and i was like i've been talking about this with therapists and you know <laughs> and i've been reading and i you know i mean i i don't understand how come i haven't gotten there yet right it's right, like right. oh well um there there's a whole piece left to do about self-love and you can't get to self-love without the healing of your child self. I mean, that's the way to get to self-love because if you still carry a brokenness about yourself, where you feel like you're not, um, enough, you're not good enough. You're not what you, someone expected you to be. Um, you could spend your whole life proving you know that you're lovable but doesn't mean that you're going to feel lovable
0: right It'd so be- how do you how do you work i know your goal in working with clients is to help them discover their life purpose and a state of wholeness and self-love so what kind of um things do you do with your clients to help them explore that
1: well when i take a history i'm very focused on people's development you know, where, what happened to them in their childhood? And where are they in looking at that? Um, are they making excuses? Are they trying to minimize? Are they trying to, to deny it or block it? Um, how much work have they already done? Um, and then I just try to tell them the truth, you know, that, that they, I see them as uh, not having a good connection with their child self. And their child self has been left alone. By them, as well as by all the other people who didn't, you know, attend to the child and honor the child and cherish the child. And they have to be able to learn to do that. And of course, people feel like, well, I can't do it. I don't know how. Nobody's ever treated me that way. So, how am I going to treat myself that way? Mm -hmm. And that's a, you know, that's a very honest question. And, you know, the answer is, you know, where there's a will, there's a way you have to first have the intention and know that this has to be done and not be sort of like reluctant. It's hard, it's painful. Um, And that's why it hasn't happened, you know, because we have lots of ways to sort of resist and distract and and not do it. But this is doing your work. This is doing your work. And if you don't have a background of being um, in an unhappy home life if you've been more or less well cared for and attended to and uh, and praised and reassured and, and all the things that children need along the way then what else is unattended to did you have a loss that you've not resolved mm-hmm. you know was did someone leave and you weren't prepared for their leaving and so there's a grief process that was never completed that's that's often uh, the big work that's waiting uh, sometimes there was just a really destructive sibling relationship, and that uh, has been very damaging and the parents didn't attend to it or didn't really understand it or whatever and uh, that is a big healing work that is waiting to be done and usually there's a there's a way you could track you know I, I say I say following the threat back from wherever, wherever a person is. And their pain and their you know their uh confusion a lot of people are just generally confused about why they're not happy or have more joy um life hasn't fallen sort of into place for them and a lot of times people are in their 50s because they've gotten which is something that i say in my video about self-love yes uh that's very common and it was in my case right i had done work since i was a child Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i was in my 50s that i did the most fundamental healing work that freed me uh, for the life that I was here, the purpose I was here for.
0: It was interesting when I was probably in my early 50s, I remember going to a therapist and it was just like, you can ask me anything, but don't ask me about my childhood. <laughs> yeah, right. I've been there and done that so many times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But of course, now I, now I know much different. Right. So how in the world did you, okay, so you're the psychiatrist, MD, and someone walks into your office and, and you bring together your integrative approach, reincarnation inner child work, near death, near death experiences, what we've learned from them, the wisdom, which is just uh, so profound. How does this weave all together to help a person have more self-love?
1: Well, you know, not everybody is on board with all these yeah. things, right? So, and I'm not in a position to try to convert people and say, right. well, first of, of all, you need to understand that, you know, reincarnation is a true thing. And, you know, I mean, that people are where they are. So I try to join them where they are, of course, mm-hmm. with empathy. And then with some explanation that that people who've hurt them, can't, they can't necessarily, um, be blamed in a sense I mean yes they were hurt and that's the reality but people can't give what they don't have right and so many people in their 50s or so are saying you know I my parents had bad childhoods they didn't you know they were struggling they weren't wanted or there was a lot of abuse there was addiction problems times were really hard and so you know I don't I don't think they really meant to be so dysfunctional and hurtful to me. And that's all helpful and, and you know, true, if it's true, but that doesn't do the job of self-love. Right. You know, you have to get to what is, what is it that was done to you and what is it that is needed? Because you need to become the loving parent that you needed when you were growing up and that you didn't have. Right. And, and that's the work. That's the work. And so you have to buy in to what was done to you. And if you don't really know what was done to you, and a lot of people say, well, I don't remember, I just know it was really hard, or you know, uh, I had a lot of abuse of one kind or another, neglect of one kind or another. Well, let's talk about what exactly was done to you. What was it that was done to you? How how did it go when you were a child? What are your earliest memories? What, what have you been told by, relatives, siblings, how can you put together a story about what your childhood was like? And then we'll go from there. And in the process, as you connect to your experience, you will likely start to have body memories and you Mm -hmm. will become tearful. That is what we need to follow. Right. And I always encourage them if they can find energy therapy, that will be helpful because that will facilitate them getting in touch with what, what in their body, you know, where is it in their body? What are they holding in their body? Um, and with the heart, because ultimately our heart self is our true authentic self. We have to connect there at the heart level. I and mean, you know, you can learn all about your childhood from the neck up and you can say, oh, I understand that all oh, that happened to me, you know, and what now what? Well, understanding is only the very beginning, right. just the beginning. That's not where the healing is coming from. It's got to come from your heart.
0: So where does joyfulness and and playfulness and those sorts of things come in? Because I can imagine that you encourage clients to bring, and for my listeners who are thinking, you know, wow, I, it's really true. You know, I, I was... I need some help, and but when you take it on that other side, what's helpful to people when dealing with these past traumas, in terms of doing things they can um, that can make them more joyous and remember the you know innocence of maybe a young 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 child or
1: something like that. Well, our joy is in our child. Our joy is in our authentic self. And I think of the authentic self as being about five years old, four to five years old. Right. And, uh, you know, people who do energy healing work that's related to child development, you know, and there's a school of that energy healing, it's called the Barbara Brennan School. But people who do that will say, well, we have younger selves, we have baby selves and toddler selves and, you know, I've, But um, a lot of times people just can't relate to that. They don't remember, or they never were told, you know, what your life was like when you were a baby, when you were a toddler. Uh, And so that, you know, for me, uh, I have memories that go way back. And I have siblings that can tell me because they were all around uh, about what was going on in the family when I was two and three. But I have my own very strong emotionally laden memories from the time I was three, four, five. And I remember going to kindergarten and I remember that at the age of five, I already knew where my family stood in the pecking order of a larger society, which was very low down. And, um, And I also was hurting greatly and so, you know, I've had patients and I, I do it at this time, I have patients who are preschool teachers and kindergarten teachers. And if they will, and so many of them are loving people, that's why they're doing what they're doing. right? Because they just have a heart for little children. And that is so, so helpful what they're doing, you know, because they're helping little children to feel, you know, that if they're good, they're loving all the children in their, in their charge. Uh, they're telling all the children that they're worthwhile and that uh, they all have something to contribute. And, and they're not discriminating <clears throat> because of socioeconomic background or race or, you know, th- there's none of that in, in these preschool and kindergarten classrooms. Mm-hmm. It's that we, we all belong here. We all belong to each other. We have to learn to be respectful uh, to appreciate each other, to say words of praise and appreciation, as well as to say things that we don't want, we don't like, and begin to set up boundaries that are appropriate, um, and to know how to voice that kind of thing. So they, they are, they're just absolutely so important for the rest of people's lives, yeah. if they have that in their early childhood. Right.
0: And I think for parents and caregivers just to be made aware of the importance of, of course, parents know and caregivers that it's important to validate a child. And but I think to let a child really know, truly know in their heart that they're significant yeah. and they are unique and they bring. A special quality to this world that no one else can. I think this is a good time to end this part of our conversation. And the next week, Rebecca will be back to talk more to us about her story and her beautiful work. I hope you can join us. Thank you so much for listening in today.